Dear Brambling, it's your Uncle Luke here. I hope you're having a good day today, as always. And um, yeah, I just wanted to take a minute to just say I'm so sorry for not posting for a few weeks. I'm sorry about that. Um, I just, uh, think you all should maybe know that, um, yeah, I, I have recently just went through a pretty major trauma. Uh, I'm calling it a double S tier trauma, and without getting into too much details, um, I, I saw someone die, a close friend of mine, and, um, it was, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in, and so a, a response that I found myself getting into watching my friend die is that, you know, I gotta start living life so forcibly, and, like, right now, and, like, making sure everything is go, 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 and I'm getting everything that I want to say out to the world as fast as I can, and I think I'm getting exhausted from that, really, truly, and I think it's really important that I choose to be gentle with myself and show myself some compassion, and hopefully, you know, people understand that, you know, keeping consistent can be really hard, especially when you've gone through so much like I have recently. Yeah, I uh, just want to say sorry about that, but, you know, here we are. Here is part two of the lover archetype, where Scott and I are going to be talking about the shadows of the lover, and this is, uh, I find, kind of an important one, um, because I find that a lot of men especially have a lot of issue with their lover archetype, and they're very much in shadow. The active shadow of the lover is the addicted lover, where the passive shadow is the impotent lover, and the addicted lover is, you know, talking about addiction. And uh, if you want to hear a really good conversation about addiction, I definitely recommend going back to the one with uh, Megan Largy and I talking about addiction. But not only that, we talk about the impotent lover and, you know, a common stereotype, especially amongst men who are not fully healed in their wounds, I feel as though think that it is okay and acceptable to go around, you know, maybe sleeping with a bunch of people. That kind of helps them feel as though they are worthy, that they are sexy, that they are desirable. And in reality, it is just a complete denial of love for themselves. It's uh, it's fascinating, and we're going to be going into that just a little bit more in this podcast. I also just want to say that, you know, once the king archetype is done, I will have a few more episodes, but I think after the few more episodes with another guest that I have are complete, I might take a little bit of a hiatus just so I can take some time to record again and have a bit of a backstock of uh, podcasts, because uh, surprisingly, enough, I've kind of gone through my whole backstock now, and I think that's a huge accomplishment, and I am so excited to say that, yeah, I might need to go on a little bit of a break so I can record things again, and then keep up with a consistent schedule. That's so exciting. But anyways, uh, with that being said, I am looking for some podcast guests. So if anyone would like to, I don't know, be on the podcast with me, uh, please send me a message on Instagram at Lucatronosaurus Rex, and um, I would uh, love to hear from you. Anyways, um, without further ado, I would love to just jump into this conversation, and yeah, I hope you enjoy. I'll see you on the other side. thinking a little bit about those, uh, you're talking about the moments of celebration that you haven't really been giving yourself lately. And it really makes me think about, we mentioned it a little bit, but that addicted lover shadow that can come out before I get into kind of like what my addicted lover is kind of like, what is, what is the addicted lover shadow and how does he kind of manifest himself? Well, I think I think the addicted lover is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it might be one of the most common shadows right now. And I think it's a shadow that a lot of pe people aren't even aware of because I've talked about this before, like even using alcohol as an example. Mm -hmm. what, what a great way to suppress emotion or, or avoid stuff is to get drunk or to you know intoxicate. Um, and a lot of times because it's so socially acceptable, we never think of it as being a problem, but uh, I, I would ask almost anybody right now to look at that 
first in, in, in the addicted sense. That's number one. Number two is, is, you know, masturbation is a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, like f- for some, especially men, it's, it's how much you're subjecting yourself to porn, mm-hmm. you know, anything, you know, we've talked about this already too, the, this addiction to fitness even can be a problem mm-hmm. and, and how you handle that. And I think, you know, that's where the, the lover runs rampant. We basically just allow them, we allow that free reign for that archetype to overindulge yeah. in, in things or obsess about things. Uh, and oftentimes, it, you know, this is the one where all the bipolar shadows play off of one another. I've used this new analogy of, I like it as, a, as the archetypes as a volume on like a stereo dial. Yeah. So if you imagine the dial goes zero to 10, if the volume's at five, the archetype's in its fullness, it's balanced, right? Mm-hmm. And if the and if the dial is turned down, right, it's it's deflated. If it's turned too high, it's inflated. And what tends to happen is we will jump from a two volume and all of a sudden just crank it to 10. Mm-hmm. And that's especially with the addicted lover. What happens is we feel impotent, we feel unloved, we feel sadness, we feel like something's missing, and that volume eater's turned down. And in order because it sucks to have it muffled so quietly, we just turn to that alcohol, we turn to the porn, we turn to whatever it is, and we crank that all the way up. Yeah. Because it because it gives us all that dopamine, it gives us all that that you that euphoric high briefly, mm-hmm. and then and then once we you know we're hung over or we stop it for a day or two, then that volume meter just goes, it goes all the way back down to a, a one or a two. Right. You know, all of this stuff is, it's emotional regulation. It's, it's regulating these things. You know, we talked about with the warrior, it's like when you're too passive and then you explode into anger, uh, with the King, it's a lot of, you know, if you're in the weakling King, what tends to happen is you have these insecurities of not being worthy of your kingdom. So to compensate, you're the person who goes and buys the fancy car with the sole purpose of inflating the ego, mm. right? Flashing your money and acting all grandiose, right? But that's really just a cover for the the wounded king that really truly doesn't feel good, which is why a lot of times when you insult somebody like that, they get very defensive. Even though they're portraying this grandiose nature, they are as fragile as can be, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, they, like I said, the addicted lover is really just, um, it's that overindulgence. And I, I've really had this thing, you know, I went, you know, during COVID, I definitely drank a lot more than I normally would. Mm-hmm. And, and I wasn't in any serious trouble, but I remember just getting to this point where I'm like, you're relying on this a lot yeah. to, to provide you with joy. Uh, this isn't really good for your kingdom. You're not, you're not making some wise decisions. So I went without it for eight months straight. Wow. Yeah, and I refrained from sexual release for about six months. And yeah, a lot of shifts happened to me. But you know, with the sexual release thing too, I also want to add, I think, you know, there's a lot of, especially in the in the the world of masculinity, there's a lot of men that are like doing this no fap or they're doing this thing where they they their goal is to abstain from it completely, like like no sexual release whatsoever. After doing the archetypal work, I think that's a problem too. I think that is again slave of the white dragon. Now what's happening is is you're it's getting to the point where we need that release at some point, whether it is self-pleasure or with a partner. Like it need it, it again, it needs to come out. Like you can't you can't keep that bottled up forever. So again, I think it's regulating and finding a, a medium where I think it's okay. Um, I think porn is destructive regardless. Uh, I think it's very toxic and, and it's, 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 it's not a good way to go. But as far as self-pleasure goes, like, I think it's just important to check in with yourself and, and uh, like with anything and say, do I really need this right now? Am I doing this to avoid emotions? Because for me, I would, I sometimes still to this day, I'll use it to avoid and get that. Because it's, let's be honest, it, it is a good feeling. Right. And you get that nice euphoric high. But my question is with any of that stuff, are you avoiding anything? Mm. And if you're not avoiding it and it's for pleasure because, you know, that that's where you're at with it and you want your lover to experience sensuality, awesome. But I, I think we as human beings, we just we tend to be we do this dance of extremes. Mm. 
we're fat and lazy on the couch. And next thing we're, you know, we're obsessed with fitness, right? Like it's like <laughs> the struggle to be a gray Jedi is a real thing in the world. So. <laughs> and it goes back to what we said earlier about the light and the dark. You have to indulge once in a while. You have to allow yourself uh, some of these, these earthly pleasures. I believe that's, that's my, you know, my take on it. And, you know, when I abstain with the, with the release for about six months, I mean, finally it just got to that point where I was like, I think I've proven my point that I can do it. And also just my body, I, I just felt like it was turning into the positives. The negatives were starting to outweigh the positives. So I was like, I need this. Like mm. I need to let, I need to, yeah, enough's enough. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's like, I think that's the addicted lover in a, in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, I know. It reminds me of this uh, story or this moment that happened to me where this uh, customer came into Starbucks and ordered himself a coffee and I think a few other coffees um, for his friends. And he just randomly said like, hey guys, I'm five years sober. And all of us were like, wow, congratulations. That's really incredible. And like, he starts telling us a little bit more about his story. And I remember taking a minute after he was telling us a bit about his story to just ask him, like, where do you think in your life you are more likely to relapse in in drinking? Is it in your sorrow and in your melancholy and in your grief? Or is it in your joy and in your celebration? And he just like hands down, he's like, it's it's the joy. It's the celebration where I'm more likely to drink. I just found that really, really fascinating. And it, it makes sense too. You're talking a little bit about that whole societal norm about, you know, when, when something's great, like, oh, yay, like you got married, pop the champagne, you know, you got the promotion, like, let's go out for drinks. You know, and sometimes I'd even have friends who maybe I was sharing like a drink with them, but then they want to order a round of shots. And then maybe I'll be like, you know, what? it's okay. And then they'll look at me being like, you know what, it's okay. What are you talking about? Yeah, you're going to have a shot. Give him two, actually. And uh, you, you, there, there is an expectation that when you're celebrating that you're supposed to drink, right? But it's not just, but it's not just that. It's like, it's, it's when people push it. Like, I don't, what, like, what is that? Well, like, I've, and, and I, well, I think part of it, I'm going to answer yeah, my own question. I think real it. quick is I think part of it is when you turn the alcohol down, it triggers them and gives them the realization of, do I have a problem? Am I overindulging in this? Like it draws away. It shouldn't because you're just making a decision for yourself. But there's something interesting with alcohol when that does come into play where I think it triggers people. Mm -hmm. When you say no, they just go, what? Like I was at my um, my girlfriend's brother's recently and – uh, it's interesting. You know, you want to find out who your real friends are. Mm. You want to find out who real people or authentic people have your back. Watch how they do respond when you turn down a beer. Um, because, uh, you know, a good example is like Natalie's family. They were just totally like, oh, okay. And they were like, that's great. That's fantastic. They're like, how long has it been? And I'm like, you know, whatever, six months. They're like, whoa, like, that's crazy. Like, that's awesome. And then they leave it. But if the person comes back and starts judging you and saying, like, why? Oh, don't be lame. Have a shot. Mm -hmm. It's like, am I having this shot to placate you, to make you feel better about getting drunk? Or like, what, what's this coming from? It's, mm -hmm. it's an interesting thing. And I, I've had this, you and I have had this conversation a lot, just with alcohol in general. We even had a conversation, I think, in, in one of our other recordings where we were talking about how alcohol also, usually when the person's drunk, However, they beha behave is whatever archetype they're they're weakest in, right? Yeah, you know what I mean? Well, that's, yeah, that was the theory that we had going, and I really enjoyed that. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's another. Yeah. yeah well, I I'm gonna go off into a, a little tangent. I feel like trying to like explain my thoughts on the whole thing, but when I think about joy, I think about um, the term foreboding joy, which I think I've talked about before, but. Just to recap, you know, for boating joys, you know, like school's going great, relationships going great, work's going great. And then you suddenly ask yourself, you're like, fuck, when's the bomb going off? You know, and then you start catastrophizing and then you start preparing for the worst, right? And I think for boating joy in that sense is common with those who don't feel as though they are worthy of pure joy because maybe they were conditioned to 
believe that when you feel pure joy, that maybe you're just being arrogant or you're being full of yourself and you're being selfish. And so when you turn to a bottle of beer, when you're feeling joy, I think there is a pain in pure joy as well that I don't think a lot of us really fully understand. Like, I don't know if you've ever really just felt your heart just be so warm and so full and so like overjoyed that you start crying, but there is a kind of like a physical pain almost to it. It's almost like your body can't hold in all that joy. It can't contain Mm -hmm. it. Right. And I think that's why we turn to alcohol because we want to numb that, right? There is a pain in joy and we want to numb that pain. And to uh, jump off to that whole thing about when people kind of judge you when you turn down a shot of alcohol or something, I think it might also come from a place of resentment. You know, resentment is an emotion I always thought was anger's ugly brother, but it turns out it's envy's ugly brother, right? Envy being an emotion we get when we want something that the other person has, right? And so what they have, sorry, when we turn down alcohol, what we have is maybe some respect for our emotions. Maybe we have some respect for the person that we're going to have to deal with the next day. What I mean, like ourselves, you know, we we don't want to have to deal with a hangover. And I think it might come from a place of resentment because it's like, I'm not mad that you turned down the drink. I'm mad that I feel like I can't. Yes. Right? Yes. That is spot on. And I think part of it too is because what they also see, you're separating yourself from the pack. You're you're displaying sovereignty. You're making a very sound decision for yourself. And that triggers in that person and also that maybe it's a weakness for them. That's what I mean. It's like they're realizing. And yeah, you you hit the nail on the head though. That's that's spot on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's so funny, you know, you want to you so many people want to live their lives with joy. But if you're not willing to stretch down into that grief and to really understand what it means to lose something, then you're not really willing to stretch up into that joy either, right? If you numb the grief, you numb the joy. You know, you can't just get the rose. You have to get the thorns with it. I was having this, uh, while you were talking, I was having this thought about the key emotions of all the archetypes. Like the the warrior's uh, gateway emotion is anger. The magician is fear. The lover is grief. And the king is joy. Mm. And the first thought I had was, well, that's just it. Like, that's why you need to move through the grief and you need to heal your wounds. You need to do all this work through the lover and grief to achieve kingship and to tap into the joy of your king. And they they work hand in hand in that sense, right? They, they kind of are together. Taking it a step further, it's like the magician holds the keys to your inner kingdom. He shines a light on all the things that you are afraid of. Mm. And you have, to, you have to move through your fear, right? From there, you need to confront your anger. Mm move through your grief to then become king, right? So in a way, it's kind of, and you can change the order around a little bit, but essentially it's like, because sometimes if you start with the lover, by moving through grief first, right, you're able to easily move through your fears, et cetera, et cetera. But I just had this thought about the, 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 all the main emotions of each of them, but the main one being uh, the lover grief to joy. In a weird way, there's what's called the tension opposite. So and the tension opposite is, for instance, warrior lover. They're tension opposites. Mm. One, one wants to be boundaryless, and the other one wants boundaries. Mm. So those are tension opposites. We know why the magician and the king are tension opposites, basically because one thinks he's smarter than the other and he should have control of the kingdom, right? And he's all about manipulation and control when he's inflated. So those are tension opposites. But what I'm realizing throughout these conversations is that there's also two pairings that are complementary mm. to one another that are the, uh, I mean, if it's a tension opposite, it would be um, more of like a, a unification. And I think one that comes up for me is it's the king and the lover really together create, because the king is about giving selflessness, nurturing and joy. And then meanwhile, you know, you've got the, the, the lover on the other side of that which is also about living in the moment, being present, being in touch with your emotions. Mm-hmm. But with the king, you're able to manage those emotions better. And I, in a weird way, they kind of work together, almost like a coupling, yeah. like a pair. 
And on the flip of that, the other pairing, which is a, almost like a tension opposite to that pairing, is when you put the magician, the warrior together, because when they're together, that is when you have a really strong spiritual practice. Yeah. That's when you have the most discipline. That's when you're getting things done. That's when you're uh, analytically thinking about everything. You're critically thinking. So really, you could pair them up in that aspect mm-hmm. of, yes, there's the tension opposites between the archetypes, but those pairings are literally like they're they're like uh they're couples they're like a they're like a um symbiotic is maybe the word i'm looking yeah. at or they're, they're 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 in they can be in synchronicity they work when they are online together they work well together they're great co-workers yeah it's like so i love that because and and that being said to close that thought off i've very much spent a lot of time and this is the other thing too is most people that are not familiar with this work, if you do an assessment or you you talk about it, usually we're dominant in two of the four, generally. Yeah. Early in my life, it was definitely lover magician. Mm. But now it's magician warrior. Like there's a lot of magician warrior going on and it's it's they work well together. They do great. But man, they do a great job at shutting out the lover and the king. Oh, geez. Wow. And if you and if you're in the lover king too much of that pairing, you're not going to get much done. You're just going to be living in this kind of world of just giving and doing that. You know, you're not you know you're not employing anybody to do anything. So, another realization in these conversations. Wow. Now, I I did want to ask a bit about the the other shadow of the lover, and it's called what was it the impotent lover? But yeah, like what what is uh, what is the impotent lover, and how does that kind of show up? in our lives. What can you tell me about that? (laughs) This one's, I think, a hard one for me to relate to, uh, because I don't know if I spent much time in this one. Mm. I mean, I can go into mine a little bit, I feel like. Well, I'm I'm bringing out Rod's book, because um, he has the characteristics of deflated lover, dry and unemotional. Now, I've had moments in my life, though, where I feel like I've kind of cut myself off from from feeling a little bit, or I feel numb. I think sometimes the impotent lover are those stretches in life where we just, for whatever reason, we feel numb to life. Like we just, we're not, not, there's no color anymore. We're losing interest in our work. Work isn't really doing much for us, our friendships. Like we're feeling really kind of in that energy. I think that's a bit of impotent lover. Mm, okay. They believe they don't or can't feel. Mm. Focused on thinking or doing than feeling, which again goes back to think about it. That's warrior magician energy. That is. Right? Out of touch with their feelings. They're in their head most of the time. Yeah. Engage with words and thinking more than emotions and feeling. Mm. So again, I think it's it's basically impotent lover is when, uh, you know, that shadow I think is born out of an inflated warrior and magician. Mm. Um, the other one is, this is an interesting one. They shame people who express a lot of emotion. That's an interesting one. They shame or disapprove of people who are needy. Mm. Which again, when I was in my lover, I was always needy. So I don't think I've ever spent much time in this shadow. I know a lot of times we bounce between the two and I've certainly have, but I think a lot of my youth, man, I was in, I was in like the heavy duty uh, inflated lover. They may make statements such as nothing excites me. Mm. Everything's so boring. Mm. There's no joy in my life. Mm. Life's a bitch and then you die. (laughs) I don't know what love is. Mm. I don't really enjoy sex. Mm. Um, you know, and I think that's the other thing too, is I think when people are in the impotent lover, like they're really just not sexual at all. Mm. Like sent like really at all. Like they're not even maybe even feeling the urge to have sex. They're not like they're so deflated and depressed and in that state of being that they're, they don't even crave that. That's the impression I get too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, I'm not spontaneous. So I think that's a big one there. Yeah. And I don't see the need for feelings, but I saw this um, video today of uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Okay. And he was talking about, I didn't agree with him. I still didn't agree with him. And he was basically talking about, I don't have time for emotions. Oh. He says, I don't have time for it. He's like, as a man, I'm responsible. I think he's got four kids or something like that. He's like, I have to look after my wife and my kids. They come first. 
I have to take care of them as a man. It's my job to provide. It's my job to protect and serve. And a lot of that energy, I'm sitting there going, that's fantastic king warrior energy. Mm. Bro, think about how much better your kingdom would be if you allowed yourself to have those emotions. Because I question how present are you? You cannot be that present and loving if you're not allowing that lover energy to come in and that lover that to me, he's shutting out lover energy. Mm. I agree with a lot of what he said. I, I understand the whole idea of, you know, you, you got to put your kids first, your family first. Like I understand that mentality, but then I, it's funny because that's ingrained in us, especially as men, as providers. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, but in order for you to be fully in that role and integrated you need you still need to fill your cup first. Yeah. At some point, you suppressing and not saying you don't have time for emotion. Here's my other thing that I find like that's a baloney excuse. Mm-hmm. It takes five minutes to cry. It takes five minutes to laugh. Like this is not something that requires that is a to me, I'm like, Shaq is absolutely suppressing and fighting hard. And he's using that stuff as an excuse to not feel. Yeah. That's impotent lover. That's what just made me think of it. That's impotent lover. It's like, I don't have time Mm. and I don't feel the need to feel. That's very interesting. So on one hand, I admire his warrior kingship, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, like you, by you suppressing that you're, you're not fully living. Yeah. Well, it sounds like um, a form of self-abuse, right? Because uh, I think it was Jim Collins who once said that we are, We are emotional beings who are sometimes logical. Oftentimes we think that we are logical beings who are sometimes emotional. It's not true. That is one of the greatest lies that we are telling ourselves. We are emotional beings who are sometimes logical. And I think if you are going to sit in your impotent lover's shadow and pretend that you don't have emotions, I think what you're doing is you're denying the reality of your existence. <laughs> yeah. And when you deny the reality of something, that's uh, it's tight. It's called gaslighting, right? And gaslighting is a, a form of emotional abuse. And that's why I say I feel like that's that's a type of self abuse. You know, when you're not, you know what I mean. And then then again, even though you said that's like king and warrior. I almost would say in that example, I would say his warrior isn't, isn't doing his job properly, you know, because his warrior isn't protecting that garden and his warrior is letting everyone come into that garden and trample all over it because they're more important than him. Right. Yeah. And the, and the King is inflated. Yeah. There's a sense of grandiosity of, of this sense of I'm a King of my kingdom. I don't have time to emote. I don't have time to take care of myself. I don't have time to be there for myself. So yeah, there's that as well. Mm -hmm. And then I think of that like masochistic shadow that we were talking about previously. And Mm -hmm. maybe it really kind of comes from this place of like, I don't really like myself. Maybe I hate myself. Right. Yeah. And I also think, you know, you connect it back. I guarantee you his father raised him to be that way. He raised him to be like your wife and your children come first. You work to serve them and you, you know, like that mentality. And there is absolute honor in that. Mm -hmm. I respect that completely. But I I take this back to you need to be a man of full range. Mm. Yeah, there it is again. You need to be a man of full range. Now, I could probably take a page uh, or two out of his book or other people's book to balance my own energies, right? And that's where this stuff is so fantastic. You can learn off of one another. But I just, I saw that and I was like, there's nothing stoic and heroic about you. And I think that's part of the problem with a lot of men is they have this hero complex, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know, of like, yeah, like I have, you know, I have this to look after. And so I don't have time to be uh, doing this uh, emotional crap, man. That's, that's, that's for uh, sissies and, you know, men who just don't have their, their stuff together. So, and, and I just, I, I just think it's a, it's a shame because I'm like, well, you're, you're depriving yourself of that. I mean, yeah. and like, you know, when people, I just hate when people say I don't have time. 
I'm like, they're, they're, you're masking something. You're, 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 you're making an excuse. I don't have time to go to the gym. It's no different when you say, I don't have time to have an emotion. It's like, dude, how much time do you do doing this? How much time do you do doing this? You have time to sit with yourself in silence. Yeah. Always five minutes. Yeah. Try box breathing for five minutes and see when you finally slow down what emotions might come up. But we are so terrified of the darkness and we are so terrified of silence. Mm. We don't want to go there. So we mask it by, I have this to do. I have that to do. I have, you know, and again, that is very much, he's in extreme inflated warrior. He's also a former basketball player. So he was also raised in an environment that is heavy. Go, 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 go. Don't stop warrior mentality. Right. But then on a flip of that, uh, rest in peace. I'm not even a basketball fan, which is funny. I'm talking about this, but you look at a guy like Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I don't know a whole lot about what he was like as a father and a parent, but I get the sense that here's a man who, yes, very disciplined warrior, but I also sense that he was a very good manager of his time. And he made sure that he was a good King and a good lover Mm -hmm. around his, around his children. And I think that Kobe, again, I don't know. I'm kind of just shooting darts mindlessly at a, at a dartboard here, but I, I just sense from the way he speaks that he's a man who was in touch with his emotions mm. a bit more, whereas Shaq just does, yeah, he's got that that different energy. So I'm just saying that you can have this warrior thing, and 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 Kobe was an example of a man who very disciplined, passionate about what he was doing, but I, I do think that that was also a man that took time out to to feel and to also go through emotions yeah wow could be wrong i didn't know the guy but well hey it feels nice what you're saying (laughs) it really feels nice i kind of hope it's true yeah you're saying like you know a lot of men say they don't have time for emotions but if we use the logic that jim collins says is that we are emotional beings who are sometimes logical then that would then lead me to say then well you've made a lot of time for a lot of other emotions why aren't you making time for these ones? You know what I mean? You know, you've made a lot of time for, I don't know, what's something manly and stoic that manly stoic men do. Made a lot of time to uh, chop wood because it makes you feel good. (laughs) I don't know, because you get a lot of emotions out. Drink beer and watch sports. Drink beer and watch sports, right? That's a Hey, those are some uh, fun emotions, right? You know? But you made some time for that. Why can't you make some time for maybe your sadness, mm-hmm. maybe your grief, maybe your anger, maybe your resentment, maybe your, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like this is now doing another full circle in that we're talking about belonging and fitting in, yep. right? You're, you're trying to fit into this mold of what you think a man is supposed to be, but really, truly, you're not belonging to yourself. And when you don't belong to yourself, you don't love yourself. Oh, and that's just it. It feels it feels like he's just playing out a stereotype, a, a model of what his parents told him he should be. This is what a man does, and this is this is this is how he earns his keep, and this is how he, you know. Mm-hmm. A, a, again, that's the thing with masculinity in general that I think uh, needs to shift a little bit. It's it, I just keep getting back to this word range, man. Uh, I wish I could remember which. Uh, speaker or coach I heard say that because I swear I'd message them and go that's the most brilliant thing I've heard all year but just it's having range you and that's where these archetypes come in is you need to balance these energies and be aware of them but you need to have range yeah yes be a strong provider be a strong man uh, give the feeling to your your partner that you can protect them if need be or whatever that that thing is that makes you feel more manly. Like it's, it's fine. But what also makes a man, a man is the ability to feel these emotions, the courage to actually delve into these things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, you know, I honestly, I'd love to sit there and be like, Hey Shaq, how's your marriage? (laughs) I mean, again, I'm kind of being judged. I'm kind of being judgmental because maybe it's fantastic, but I would be curious. I'd be like, dude, okay, it's fine that you live like that, but how do you connect with your wife then emotionally? And like, how do you, how is your, how is your, do you know what I mean? Like, what's your connection and how is all that? And even more so, if you're too busy to feel emotions, what happens when you're required in a certain situation? Let's say 
talking to your kids or your wife where emotions are required. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe they say something that triggers something in you where you need to let that out. Like this, it's just this weird thing with men sometimes of like, I'm just going to keep taking all this on. Yeah. And, and we talked about, I think before in, in week one with the shadow bag, which is they just keep loading this bag up yeah. because they're, because they don't, you know, it, any sign of, letting go is is too feminine or too weak and i'm like come on man mm. this stuff strengthens you man it's it's yeah well like what i like what you're saying is um you know how how is your relationship with your family you know something uh how's your relationship with your family and like a man a father is supposed to provide well what if your child is struggling with a really really complicated emotion for the very first time and it's not something that you're willing to look at and work through. And then they come to you being like, dad, I am feeling so anxious. I am feeling so depressed. I am feeling so this, what do I do? Go ask your mother, you know, like I'm not gonna deal with that. And then, so now the child has this pro maybe, I don't know, I'm not just guessing, but this child probably now has this idea that I can't approach dad about uh, these really complicated things. And maybe dad's perspective is the one that I actually need right now. And in that moment, you can call yourself, you know, you, you can talk about how you get things done as a father and you do all this stuff. But in that moment, you failed as a father because what happened is you did not do the emotional processing or the emotional self-work to be able to be there when your child came to you and a, and a man should be able to do that when he's in his king. He should when when that situation you just described happens, a hundred percent that man should be able to go, boom, I'm in the moment because I I I know what these emotions feel like. I've processed them. I've healed them. Yes, I'm going to help my child in this moment because I've done the work. Mm -hmm. and what men need to realize is that the work is not just simply the work. It's not physical. It's not you know, right. muscular. It's not active. It's it's actually still and it's quiet and it's contemplative and it's brave, right? It's very, very brave. And I feel like brave and courageous is such manly words. And that's where I find there's like a paradox in our society right now where like we want so many brave and courageous men, but so many men don't actually want to be brave and courageous in the real way. And something that I also find is in the same vein of what we we're talking about is say like a child goes to a father and says, dad, I'm feeling this thing. How do I, what do I do? And they'll just be like, well, here's what you should do is you should do this and then you should do that. And then you should do this and that, and then you should feel, feel a lot better. What that's going to tell the child is that, oh, I'm not active or disciplined enough to work through my emotions properly. And it's not going to build that resilience properly. And what they're telling them essentially is that what you're feeling is probably abnormal and that you're being unhealthy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, your, your big emotion is actually an illness and this is what you need to do to alleviate it. That's not helpful. And if Shaq has sons, mm -hmm. which I mean, he's got four kids, I don't know, but if any of those are boys, what do you think he's teaching those boys with that mentality? Mm. Don't feel your emotions, son. You're you're a man. You shouldn't have emotions. You have to provide. This is what you do first and foremost. So he's just passing that stuff on. Mm -hmm. And what if? And what if? Taking it a step further, what if one of his sons happens to be a little more sensitive? Mm. He happens to be a man that is much more in his lover naturally mm. because that's just who he is. Maybe he's not an athlete. Mm -hmm. Maybe he doesn't want to be a basketball player. Maybe he doesn't. You know, maybe. Maybe he's even struggling with his sexual identity, like whatever that might be. And this is the problem I think with a lot of parenting is that you can't just imprint your model onto them. Mm. This is what worked for me. And this is what my dad taught me. And this is how you do it. <laughs> lazy parenting is mm. lazy because you're not allowing that child to grow. And you're not, this is the craziest thing I think a lot of parents miss. Think of what you might learn from your child. I think a lot of times parents mm. have this thing where they're on a pedestal, right? I am the parent. I know best. And they have that hero complex again. And it's like, no, no, no. But your child, you might actually, they might actually help you to grow. 
and maybe explore some of these archetypes or these energies that you haven't been like, they can be your teacher just as much as you can be theirs. Mm. And I think that's something like I've never, I'm not a parent. I don't know if I ever will be. The clock's kind of running out for me, but that's one thing for me. I know I would really be like, Hey, there's certain things like, yeah, I don't want my kid doing, or, you know, you, you have to be a parent, obviously. And there's got to be some rules, but at the end of the day, it's also allowing that child to become their own person. Yes. Teach them good values, teach them good morals, but just make sure those morals and those values aren't toxic or they aren't just things that it's just, to me, that's no way to live, man. It's, it's like your job on this earth is much more than being a father and a provider is what I'm saying. Yeah. Wow. Even though you have, even though you have those responsibilities, I don't care what you do in life, man. You ha- there's more to it than whatever your job is, uh, whether it's you know as an accountant, a basketball player, a personal trainer. It doesn't matter what your job is. There's more to life than that. It's about being present. It's about being uh, fully integrated, so that when things like you mentioned are called upon you, like your child comes up to you with an emotional problem, you're you've worked on that muscle. Yeah. To me, it's it's lazy parenting, man. Mm-hmm. If it's just kind of it, when it's so cut and dry, it's 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 almost like it's the religion. You're passing down the religion and <sighs> saying, "Here you go. Yeah. This is what our forefathers taught us, and this is how you do it." Rather than having this, allowing this kaleidoscope of, yeah, you know, and that's it. That's the thing with this lover stuff, man. The lover colors all of the other ones, really. And you take yeah. a look. You take a look at most people's shadows. A lot of times, especially men. What's happening is, is there's an absence of this archetype. There's an absence of it. Mm, wow. Men don't know how to let go, even on a on a goofy level. <laughs> how many men? How many men do you know just can't be silly or childlike? That they have to be all. Again, it goes back to what we just said about the fatherly man league stuff. Yeah. It's it's almost like when men reach a certain age, it's like that's it. I talk like this, and I have to stay. I am a man of control, yeah. and that's the biggest one. Is I think men grow into this idea of control. They got to control mm. everything. Let go. Yeah. Trust me, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of trying to control things too. So um, I'm not preaching from a mountaintop here, um, but yeah, I just think that um, the lover is huge, and that I'll send you that lecture. But the Robert Moore Lover lecture is brilliant. You know, the king can't be nurturing and caring and selfless without the lover. Um, without the lover, he becomes the tyrant. <laughs> the warrior becomes the sadist without the lover. Another interesting aspect is relationships. Here's an interesting one. Warriors create boundaries. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they kind of tend to, you know, you close things off with the warrior in order to have a healthy relationship. You need warrior. And you know why? Why? You need the warrior to remain faithful. Mm. The warrior is the part of you that remains faithful. So if you're, if you're a man who's, or a woman who's cheating on your spouse, there's no warrior. Wow. You have no warrior there because your warrior will remain faithful and loyal. The warrior is loyal. So it's interesting how in order to meet and fall in love, you need less warrior. But once you're in a relationship, you need more warrior because it is, it's discipline. And like, so again, man, it's, it's a very interesting, there's that interesting tension opposite warrior lover. But again, they need, they need one another. They do. They really do. I've heard it said that the most compassionate people are the most boundaried. And uh, I think that's really true. Um, you got to love yourself if you're going to love anyone else. And to love yourself means to know what's okay and what's not okay. And like really standing up and using your voice to to say it, right? Oh, wow. Well, Scott, is there anything else left to be said? I don't know. I'm I'm just kind of... These talks are gold. Yeah. Jeez. I, I love having them because to me, it's like it's just going to improve everything for me. It's just, I'm, I'm learning on such a deeper level what's missing sometimes in my life. And, and, um, it's just, it's just phenomenal to me. Yeah. And it's so funny. Cause I kind of feel like I'm bringing you onto the show as like the one who knows a lot about this, but I feel really humbled and honored to hear that you're learning a lot from it all too. I, I think if anything, anyone listening to this and, uh, Maybe they've had those moments of self-harm and suicide that know that there is probably definitely absolutely someone out there that loves you and is going to really miss you. And, um, you know, just like we were saying with Twitch, you know, he, he's 
left ripples throughout the whole world. Everyone's really feeling that grief, you know, now that he's gone, they, a lot of people loved him and now that love doesn't have a home. And Mm -hmm. which I think to sum up what I want to say to piggyback off that is the lover reminds you that say what you got to say now, tell the people you love that you love them because tomorrow is never promised. Yes. It's never promised. So no regrets, make sure you reach out and, uh, and step into that. And then also the step into that love that you, for yourself, appreciate it, you know, absolutely. Um, which is something I continue to learn. I do love myself, but um, it, it is just allowing myself some freedom with all of this stuff to, to enjoy life. Um, I feel like I've been really pushing the career side of things so much yeah. at the neglect of being in the moment. And, and again, tomorrow's never promised. So chase what you, what you're going after, but that's why each day, Try to spend a little time in each energy. Yeah. Just a, just a, just a little bit of balance. That's all. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you can't squeeze a lot in, seriously, 10 minutes, put on your favorite song, shut out the world, lip sync, dance around your living room, but just, just get a little bit of that lover energy. Yeah. And um, piggybacking off that whole music thing, if you want to listen to a really sad song, do it. To activate your lover, it doesn't always have to be like, Pharrell's no uh, let's be happy clap a lot like no maybe you need some Leonard Cohen maybe you need some you know some some real dark stuff because I think what's really important if you're going to take all of what we said in a nutshell I think the lover energy really resonates the most when you're just being honest with yourself and lean into it (laughs) if you're feeling joy lean into it Mm. and like you mentioned like sometimes when i'm feeling a bit sad like i could cry rather than suppress it i'm like oh i know what'll get this out i'm gonna go play this song yeah as soon as i as soon as i play the song i'm leaning into that emotion and just because i cry doesn't mean the rest of the day like it's a weird thing the rest of my day sometimes is is amazing yes filled with joy because i'm like wow glad i got that out of my system yeah i often say that my most joyful days are the ones where i started off sobbing and and you know why? Because you're in that energy. I think of memento mori. Yeah. You're in that you're in that energy of deeper appreciation, because tears I think do remind us a lot of the impermanence of life. Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah, when you finish that that sob fest, you're now in that kind of energy of memento mori and carpe diem a bit, where it's like okay, you know, I think sometimes those emotions are just your body's way of saying you've been working too hard, you've been fighting too hard, yeah. you're not playing enough, mm-hmm. you're not enjoying life enough. So when you let some of that go, uh, then you're able to just be fully there. Totally. Beautiful stuff. I think uh, my last thing is that, you know, there's about 365 days in a year. My grandma lived to about 90. Um, Yeah, I feel as though, you know, the average lifespan is like, what, 86 to 90. I'm just going to round up. We're going to say people tend to live to 90 years old. So that means you have approximately 32,850 days to live your best life. So go out do it i love it okie doke well thanks so much scott and i will catch you next week for oh my gosh the last one the last chat king king (laughs) oh my word well thank you thank you Well, there is the lover archetype with uh, Scott Harris and super duper grateful for Scott for jumping onto these podcasts with me and making each archetype its own little conversation. And I'm so grateful for all the little nuggets and the gold that kind of arises from these conversations when we give ourselves enough time to just really talk through something and you know we're not having those moments internally where we feel like oh i should have said that oh maybe i should have said that it's just such a blessing to give ourselves enough space and time to really get everything that we wanted to talk about out on the floor and there's just so many nuggets of gold and i'm just so grateful and i know that it's been kind of a sad journey so far and i hope that everyone is doing okay i hope that everyone is checking in with themselves but this is kind of the point you know we gotta really lean into these really uncomfortable hard difficult conversations that make us feel open and vulnerable 
vulnerable and unprotected and maybe a little chaotic because we're not used to being there. And the more that we are there, the more that we build that resilience to being there. And the more that we build that resilience, the more willing we are to go there. So, you know, this is, that's the whole point. That's the whole reason why I'm pretty much forcing sadness down your guys' ear holes. And I'm really sorry, but, uh, it was really important to me when I went through this process and I knew I had to share and I knew that I would regret it if I didn't. After having gone through a double S tier trauma, like witnessing your old childhood friend die right in front of you, I definitely recommend you know, saying what you think you need to say and telling all of your loved ones, even your friends, how much you love them and care for them. Because tomorrow's not promised. It really isn't. And something could happen to you where you, you die and you'll never get to say the things that you wanted to say. So do it now because waiting is probably one of the most blasphemous things you could do with the blessing that is your life. Does that make sense? I know that's a really harsh and a strong statement to say, but you were given this life and it's such a blessing. And there's so many reasons to be grateful for that life. And more often than not, it's the people that you're with and in connection with that have made your life, at least the good moments, livable. And make it weird. Make it awkward. Make it uncomfortable but tell people how much you love them because we gotta remember that we gotta we gotta let them know that their existence in our lives have made our lives worth it so go do that <laughs> and uh i know i said it in the last episode but brambling i love you so much the fact that you are our clean slate in our family is so meaningful and I love you. I really do. And I want the best for you. And um, yeah, I suppose that's it. Thanks so much, guys. And I will see you hopefully next week for the King Archetype. And my goal is to maybe make that into one episode because I think we can. So until then, I will talk to you later. Bye. The Dear Brambling Podcast is a podcast dedicated to my little nephew, to the next generation of humans growing up in this world, as well as to those who might be looking for a little more guidance in their life. It is hosted by me, Luke Benoit. The editing and sound design are provided by MB Productions, as well as Hideout Productions. The music that you're listening to is called Sunlight Cascading Through the Clouds by Artificial Music. If you'd like to follow me on any social media, I am on Instagram and Twitch at Rex. And for those who are still listening this far into the podcast, I'd like to take a moment to really thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd also like to say that if you are experiencing any difficulties or pain in your life right now, there is still no substitute for a trained coach, counselor, or licensed therapist. If you are committed to putting in the work and really trying to better yourself as a human, I definitely recommend that you go searching and shopping for the right coach, counselor, or therapist for you.